Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. And welcome in everybody to Scout's Eye on College and Pro Football. I am Chris Landry each and every Wednesday at this same time at uh, 9 a.m. Central. We're here to talk college football, pro football uh, here with you. It's always fun and I enjoy doing it on Wednesday because it gives me a little bit more time to be able to uh, look at film, see what's really going on. I'm a big believer in that, obviously, in making sure that um, everything is consumed as best I can. And people always ask me, how do you, how do you figure out and, and uh, find time to look at all the tape well it really comes down to as i fix a little technical issues here really find time to look at as much tape as possible it's an ongoing process so as you 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 never can get through all the tape you just consume as much as you can and now it's not tv copy you can't do it from there so we'll, we'll kind of impart hopefully some wisdom some understanding of what went on in some of the games this past weekend and kind of tied into this coming weekend, college and pro football. We do it every week, uh, as we said, at 9 a.m. Central on the Twitch Landry Chris Chris channel. We're working, and uh, hopefully it is up. We are working to put this uh, also on the Landry Football Facebook channel and the Landry Football YouTube channel, so you can consume it in many different ways. You can also consume it as a podcast uh, by going to LandryFootball.com. So if you can't watch it live, you can at least get a chance to listen to it in podcast form. And we always are mindful with that. So as we describe things, we try to describe it in depth as if it's on um, the consumable radio part. Um, want to remind you about LandryFootball.com, the hub of everything we do. It is a website for the fan. Um, but it is a very sophisticated, takes you inside the film room type look, uh, gives you a look at the college and pro game from a coaching and scouting perspective, giving you a viewpoint of what we see inside the film room, making you a more knowledgeable fan so you can see the game better, understand the game better, and make some cogent thoughts in dealing and talking with your friends about the game that it's not the typical stuff that you hear bloviating out there about, you know, this and that. The reality is um, this gives you um, 
a real opportunity to get a true vision of how we do it from a scouting standpoint uh, and a coaching standpoint. So check that out. Um, we go into depth of how players were graded, what happened in the game, why it happened in the games. And we also provide the previews and analysis as we go into the next week's games to kind of give you an idea of what to look for, what to look for. So if it's the gaming aspect, if it's the fantasy aspect, if it's just wanting to have a better feel for what to look for, we got it all for you there. So check it out at LandryFootball.com. Look, we've got a ushering out a special savings so you can check it out at Landry Football. So you think, well, I don't know if I want to check. You can try it out for a month. You can try it. You can get it for a year, which is the best savings. And in the middle, you can try it out for six months. So I just want to try it out. I want to do it for the next six months. We'll see. You got all those options. We understand, you know, budgets, very inexpensive. For example, it's $9.99 a month. Um, you know, it is um, – Less than a magazine subscription, or as my man Spartan Barton says, for one year it costs less than a month of cable. So I think that's really good. I appreciate that, Spartan Barton. Appreciate his support. He's a big follower on um, all of our Twitch channels. By the way, you can interact with us on Twitter at Landry Football, but you can also go to the Chris Landry Twitch channel. Go to LandryFootball.com, hit follow Chris on Twitch, and send us your comments, your questions there. Spartan Barton did. Um, he says, learn why Bo Nix is trash. I don't know about that, but, um, you can certainly get a feel for a lot of what's going on in football and, and certainly ask, uh, so Facebook, YouTube, um, Twitch TV, we got it all for you, but LandryFootball.com is where we break that down for you. And it is less than a magazine subscription. It's nine, less than $10 a month. Uh, and if you get it, for a full year, it's less than $5 a month. So, um, and if you get it for six months, uh, you're in a rate that's in between. So it's no excuse. Try it out. We think you will love it. All right. So a couple of things I want to get off to on the top. Um, there's, and, and by the way, if you got a question, send it to me at uh, LandryFootball.com. Contact Chris if that's, if you're listening to it in podcast form. If you're watching it, like Spark Barton is in listening, go ahead and send us a question or note live. I admit that I was one of those that felt a little bit too comfortable and confident, and I do it out of ignorance because I don't know that, hey, look, boy, everything's going so well in the NFL, and I wasn't naive to think we weren't going to have any situations. But I got to tell you, I was a little bit surprised that the game was canceled. I, I don't know why. I, you know, I certainly knew it was possible. I certainly knew it was was definitely something that was potentially going to be there. But, and I don't know why. I just, you know, thought that maybe it might be something that, um, you know, we were going to avoid. It just, it just, I felt that way. That was something that I think we were going to be able to avoid. We didn't. What does it really mean? Uh, is it uh, is it really a potential problem? Um, well, I think there potentially is. Um, if you look at the circumstances, 
and I don't know all the circumstances with um, the Titans and what they did or didn't do in terms of following protocol. And I'm going to get to your questions here in a minute. I appreciate it on uh, Twitch. But, you know, if you don't follow the protocols, you can have an outbreak. To have a game that was canceled, postponed, it's a big issue. And I brought this up on the Film Room Show with Scott Seidenberg, which you can listen to um, myself every Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Central. I really believe we're heading towards a bubble in the playoffs. Uh, we, what a disaster it would be if we had a game canceled in the playoffs. It screws up the whole alignment of the playoffs. So I don't see that as something that um, – we, we can risk in this league. My thoughts on it are if they did something wrong, there needs to be heavy punitive action, meaning they were derelict in their responsibilities. Uh, if it was just more buzzards luck, as I like to call it, you know, there's nothing you can do there. Um, um, and uh, I appreciate this. Uh, Jay Diggs says, I've been a subscriber for over a year, and Chris knows all the teams. I'm a Q's fan, a Syracuse fan, and he answers all my questions and has inside knowledge. Appreciate that, Jiggs. Dave Spartan Barton, how concerning is it? A lot of Gator starters are, are grading out in the orange. Not a whole lot. And by the way, you can tell he's a subscriber. He knows what orange graded players mean. You can go to the website, and you see we, we grade guys out in – Blue, red, purple, orange, and rather than go through all blues of the highest grade, reds are really starters that win for you. Purples are quality starters. Orange are backup graded. Now, Spartan Martins mentioned it. There are a number of guys, the Gators, that have graded out in the orange. And no, that's not doesn't mean that that's what their abilities are. That just means how they're grading out. It you've got guys, I mean, um, you're going to have guys that are blue-grade players that may grade out an orange one game. It just, you know, I, I think it's a byproduct of effort, assignment, technique on defense, and I, I think I often see it improving. It's concerning, yes. As a coach, you're concerned about everything. You dominate a game and you're worried about the two or three things you didn't do well. It's just the nature of it. I'm concerned, but – I don't want to convey that as my concern of they're not going to be good enough. They're, uh, let's see. Still early, and it's early considering some of the youth of the players that are in there and as opposed to what they had to replace. So I think that's that's big. Um, Burns4597, how large is your team that helped you break down film each week? Um, not very big, but I tell you what I do. I have a relationship as I do consulting work for NFL teams and college programs. Well, I also, we work together, if you will. So the actual people that uh, are coaching and scouting the very players in the NFL or in college, as I do, a lot of them help provide some information. If I can't get to, I kind of make my priority each week and I get as I said at the beginning as much film consumed as possible 
but I obviously utilize them. So if I got people like right now, it's saying college, you all have big 10 and pac 12 games to break down, but certainly got coaches in the big 12 that I, I will get feedback from the coaches that coach their players because I want to know the things that no one can know, but those coaches, cause they're at the, with them in meetings all the time. But more importantly, I want to see what the D line coach that just played against Texas's offensive line thinks or vice versa. Um, and so I get, I get that and a lot of that information put in and I have people help me with writing and, you know, cutting and pasting nose and notes from, from my scouting uh, notebook. So, um, I've got, uh, you know, a few people that have, but a lot of them are more people that are working in football, which is why, uh, heading this up. A lot of them I've helped get coaching jobs and scouting jobs. And that's kind of what we do. And certainly as they get into that position, um, I don't want them to do take away time from their work, but certainly what they do and what they provide and who they help have helping them type up the information, you know, uh, we share a lot of that, but I always try to make sure that, you know, for example, this, um, and there's some people you get to know people in the business <laughs> may have an offensive line coach, for example. That always thinks his players played well. I mean, it doesn't matter, whatever. Well, you know, and they'll try to sell you on my guys played well. And I'm like, you know, no, they didn't, Larry. You know, <laughs> they didn't. They <clears throat> didn't play well. Sorry. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, so you get some of those. And you got some of them that ah, didn't play well. Well, they actually graded out better. But, you know, just some people, you know how people are the way you are in life. You know, just – the weather's perfect, but nah, it's five degrees too hot. It's five degrees too cool. It's a little too windy. It when I when I get enough rain to water my yard, we're getting too much rain. My my yard's getting too much water. I mean, you know, you, you got different people that are negative, and you got some people that just you know they're sunshine pumpers all day long. And so you have to understand that. And once you learn them and know their personalities, you can kind of temper it a little bit. But I always make sure that I'm putting it you know, to where I can see what it is. Um, Rich coach one and rich is uh, Richard. Is that you, by the way, send me, is that my man? And Richard's got, by the way, Richard sent a, uh, I've got a question uh, that we'll address maybe today since I know he's listening, but I also put it on the Landry football podcast, which you can listen to tomorrow. Uh, I actually, due to some minor surgery, had to do my Landry football podcast a little earlier last week. So your questions, Richard, came in after I had submitted. So I've got your questions about, let's see, the air raid offense. We're going to get to that. In fact, we'll get to it today and talk about it. But Rich, Coach One, I believe you're the same guy. Uh, were you, let me put it up there, were you a little surprised that the Patriots were able to hold the Chiefs for the first three quarters? And what did the film say about Stidham, even though he threw two interceptions, was a pick six? Look, you got to understand um, the Patriots do a really good job taking away, you know, what you do best. Uh, yep, it's me, Rich. That's it. Um, they do a really good job, and I was a little surprised they were that effective in doing it. Yes, but they do a good job. The, the one thing they do is, is they stem their fronts quite a bit. They give you a lot of different looks. So, getting some pressure at times and forcing it uh, the ball to come out a little 
sooner than they wanted. And you got to remember, this is an outstanding secondary, and they mixed up their coverages. So the combination, so really good Patriot defense. And I'm never surprised, having worked with Bill Belichick um, so long, that of his ability to do something in creative and also with the talent level. It was not overly creative, but it, it was a lot of mixtures, and they did a really good job um, of creating good pressure and really good coverages. There are some guys that got free, but here's the thing about Bill. Bill's a big believer in this. All right, we're going to force you in the red zone. We're not going to allow the big run after catch, and they did a, a little bit, but not a lot. But when you get into the red zone, they're going to make the quarterback scramble around because at that point, when you got all that speed on the field and you're the Chiefs, that speed is negated in the red zone because you can only go so far. I mean, once you get out of the end zone, doesn't count. So they play that, and they played it very, very well in the red zone. And so I, I think they did a really good job. Not all that surprised, but but just a little bit because of how good they are. Um, uh, Jig's dad, 44, says, have you had a chance? Let me click that up so everybody can see. Have you had a chance to see any film of Tommy DeVito? How much of an offensive issues are him and the offensive line? It is largely the offensive line. I do like Tommy. I think he has ability. Um, I don't think he's a super talent. I think he's a good talent, and I think he's got ability to be more productive than he is. But the biggest problem that they're having there is the play of the offensive line. It is in recruiting, and I've said it for a while. And I don't know if I know you've followed a little bit, but we've got another uh, Peter who's a follower that I know has followed for a long time, another Syracuse grad. And I I don't know, Jigs, if you were following me um, or, or listening to the podcast back in what I call the, the really good Syracuse year, the Dino Babers year where, you know, everybody was – People are asking me, oh, boy, this this guy is going to leave. He's this, he's that. Um, you know, the problem I had with Dino is I didn't think it was sustainable. I thought, obviously, they had a great quarterback that year. They had a really good team, had some good players, and I thought it came together, and I thought Dino did a really good job. My concern was, was because everybody was saying, if you remember that next year, Syracuse, number two, in the division the next year. I'm like, the talent level's not there. And so my concern is, not just with Dino, but as a whole, the recruiting level has really dropped. Give you a little quick story. And I go back, and you remember this as a Syracuse fan. I'm assuming you're old enough. Paul Pascaloni did a really good job of recruiting, as well as Coach Mack, and Paul was a part of that. But Paul Pascaloni actually wanted me to join his staff from LSU at the time to be his recruiting coordinator and work on field. And uh, I didn't take the job, but I spent a lot of time talking with Paul. Paul was a voracious recruiter. Now, this is before, you know, Paul was single and he worked at recruiting all the time, as was I. And it was just, it was a constant grind with him. As you know, recruits, don't know about your history. Syracuse has really good tradition, tradition of great backs, is tradition of a lot of great players. It's old tradition. And, you know, young players 
don't know about it, young recruits, that some of their parents didn't live enough of it. it it's to me, it's about a little bit of an identity crisis too in the ACC. Um, you know, you're, you know, if you're if you're going to be in Jersey, you're going to be in upstate New York. Doesn't have a lot of players, but they have some quality ones. Getting players in that region to stay close to home is difficult because kids will see it as, you know, what I my parents can see me just as much going to the Big Ten, going to Penn State, going to Ohio State. And that's the challenge. They're not recruiting against the ACC schools so much as they're recruiting against the schools in the region that have more of a football pedigree in recent years. The talent level is just not good enough. And they certainly don't have the name recognition in the ACC to be a huge factor into the Atlantic Coast region. I mean, they can't go into Virginia and really have any shot at a kid that you know, Tennessee or Virginia Tech or, you know, any of the programs in the upper level, Clemson, they got no shot. Now they can get the second, third tier guys, but then that gives you, you know, players that you're going to have to hit on them and be a really good developmental program. And I don't think the program is what I would call upper level developmental, like a Wisconsin or an Iowa or something like that. And so I think there's a bit of a dilemma that they've, they've got to figure it out. And it's a good job, but it's, it's regressed in terms of what it used to be. Um, it's it's and that's that's the concern I have there. Um, um, let's see here. Drevin says, "How bad is Atlanta defense? Is it a talent or scheme? It's just awful. How does Quinn survive this mess?" Um, well, it's the talent. I mean, they lost the third safety. They don't have a lot of talent. The problem for Dan is that. You know, this is not just one year problem. It's been another issue. Um, I don't know that you can say, well, this is a one year mess. And you can, the collapse, the dealing with it is definitely related to talent level, is definitely related to how you play it. They're, the ironic thing is they play a base cover three that is designed to from the ball to beat you deep, to get beat over the top. But when you have safeties that are not functional, it's because you've lost them three, your top three, you're going to have a problem and you're giving up leads. And if you got a lead, what is an opponent going to do? They're going to throw and throw and throw some more. A, because they can attack it, B, because they got to, to have a chance to come back and win. And that's just a bad formula. So, look, I think it's the defense is awful. They're going to need help from their offense. Their offense with a lead is going to have to be able to run the football and finish games. If they can't do that, they're going to be in problem. Okay, Jig's dad. Okay, that is Peter. He says, that's me. I got you, man. Um, also, what are your thoughts on the call in the in the same game that, that Mahomes was sacked and fumbled the ball but was thrown down by Corrente and the Patriots wouldn't challenge it because it was far forward progress being stopped? My thoughts, Richard, was it's just a, a bad call. If you look at it live, I mean, I saw the same thing. Um, I didn't see forward progress being stopped on Mahomes. It looked like the ball came out 
And I thought the ruling was that that it was ruled that the Patriots were stopped, um, was ruled down. But then that didn't make sense because clearly nobody from the Patriots was close to being down. When I looked at it again, it was pretty clear that, well, Mahomes at least was close to being down. He was, and he was laying on top of a player. But in real life, you know, you're confused what the call is. That is on the official to be able to communicate to the coach, and it's up to the coach, and I don't know if Bill did it or not, to say, give me the call. Who's down and what's ruled? But in this up-tempo system, sometimes you can't communicate it well, and that's a problem. I have a right as a coach to know what your ruling was. Hey, you're ruling that he the that the that the quarterback was down, and I've got a review of that in the booth that says, no, 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 challenge it, coach. I'm going to challenge it. But if you're blowing the whistle for a guy, you blow the whistle, it's moot. You know, you got to know the call, and they got to communicate the call. So it was it was poorly officiated, no question. All right, let's get into some some thoughts from around the league from this past week, some observations, and I do have some more questions. Richard, Kevin's also got questions. Um, you know, um, things that jumped out at me this past week um, is that Cleveland may be on to something. They are starting to really play well. Kevin Stefanski's got a good system going offensively. It is not easy to placate Odell Beckham. I mean, look, it's you want to get that guy involved. He's that talented. Um, but the offense is starting to really come together, and it's pretty good defense. And um Got an elite defensive end. This this is interesting. I I said this as well on a couple of different platforms, a couple of different other shows that uh, are here on my network is that there are three teams that are pretty good in the AFC North. The AFC North and the NFC West are really good. Now, I know the Niners have been cut off at the knees with their injuries, but they're still really good. This Brown team's improved. The other thing is just how bad the NFC East is. Dallas is a mess. And look, um, we don't know that maybe Dallas wouldn't have won a game had they lost that game, had they won that game in Atlanta. But they look like, on film, a team that's winless. And yet, nobody's out of that division. Heck, the Eagles, people are asking now, the Eagles are the favorite in the division just because they upset San Francisco out in the West Coast. That is a mess. So that's concerning. The AFC, uh, the NFC South. Tampa's playing the best ball, and we'll see if the Saints can continue and improve there. Seattle's rolling along, but I still their defense has got to grow up, and I, I'm confident that it can, but they're, they're really tough to stop offensively, no question about it. The other team in that division are the Rams that are really playing good ball. They're playing well at the line of scrimmage. That's the difference. Um, they're doing a good job defensively. You know, it's not just, well, here's Aaron Donald's lined up in three technique. Aaron Donald's lined up five technique. He's lined up in one technique. I mean, they're moving him from left to right. I mean, it's where's Walter find this guy. It is tough. They will find your weak spot. Just like folks, when you talk about 
Everybody focuses on offense and finding the weak spot and get that receiver matched against that corner. What you do, you take an elite player like Donald and you can move him around. We call play the piano, just all around, put him down the line of scrimmage and find the weak spot. Man, it paralyzes your protections. And they're doing a very good job of that. So they're a factor. Um, the Chargers, the other side of town, um, not playing as well defensively as I thought they would. And that needs to pick up. That's their strength. The Cardinals are really uh, struggling of late. They're, they're losing some. And they're, the thing that helped them, their schedule was pretty favorable, and they're not getting it done. Uh, that's concerning. Carolina is really maximizing what they're doing. Matt Rule's doing a good job. Joe Brady's doing a great job. I'm so proud of that young guy. I can remember, you know, um, spending time with him in New Orleans. So those of you who don't know, Louisiana native myself. And um, so I've got a little close proximity connection to the Saints and LSU. I work for a lot of programs and teams around the country but it's a little bit you know in the off season and you, you're getting into uh spending a little more time you know joe brady was a special guy and i'm when i i know that i recommended him to lsu i i thought he would help them i didn't think he would transform them and i'm gonna tell you teddy bridgewater is playing with a lot of confidence let's remind everyone christian McCaffrey's not there they're playing hard they're playing smart and they're maximizing it's interesting to see what they're doing. They're very, very impressed. Um, Bill O'Brien this week obviously lost his job. Um, Got to get more out of Deshaun Watson. They're rebuilding this defense. It's going to be an interesting search and see what they're going to do with their front office as well. It's going to be Easterby. They're going to move on. Um, We touched a little bit about the Patriots and the Chiefs. Chiefs, you know, in addition to what we know about their offense, how about their defense really getting after it? Now, I, I understand that um, when you're dealing with a, a Patriots offense that doesn't have Cam Newton, obviously doesn't have Tom Brady, it's a little bit easier to create pressure. Um, Stidham was not real effective. Uh, you know, listen, if you get the right coverage, man coverage, he can throw the football pretty well. The problem is in this league, when people mix up your coverages, it's it's a it's a real challenge. And so getting Cam Newton back is going to be a real helpful, uh, obviously, to the Patriots and what they're trying to do offensively. But the Chiefs' situational defense continues to be pretty good, pretty effective. Um, uh, Buffalo continues to um, – Impress, no doubt about it. Josh Allen has had a really good year. Josh Allen has graded out very, very well and you know, continues to kind of be in that blue and that red area. Outstanding. Just outstanding defense. As good of a secondary. You've got between the Bills and the Patriots secondary as good as we have in the league right now. So very, very impressive. Uh, we touched on it. The Eagles uh, getting on track against San Francisco kind of keeps them in place. Green Bay's moving on. Aaron Rodgers has been outstanding. You could tell he's got a chip on his shoulder. Um, but uh, so those are some of the things that, uh, again, um, Bucks offense, um, you know, uh, real, real pivotal. This week, 
uh, what I'm um, looking at is the must win for the Falcons against Carolina. Cannot lose at home to Carolina in a first-year coach. Don't know what we're going to see in Tennessee with their limited practices against Buffalo. I uh, don't think the Raiders are ready to go to Kansas City and accomplish anything. We shall see. I think Pittsburgh at home against Philly, they tend to play down to certain opponents. This would be one of them, but I think they probably handle business here. Um, Jacksonville, Houston, can Houston get their first win? Indianapolis, Cleveland is one of the more intriguing matchups, maybe as good of an intri- of a matchup this week of teams that I think are doing things pretty well, particularly Cleveland. Indianapolis doesn't look quite as good as Cleveland on the film right now, but they're dangerous. This ought to be a really good game. Giants and Dallas. I don't know why it's interesting. Guess I'm a glutton for punishment, but somebody's got to win that division, don't they? Um, New England can Cam get back. Seattle hosting Minnesota. Then the Saints against the Chargers. Uh, Detroit and Green Bay have buys. Uh, so that's some of a look. Hey, um, I'm going to answer a couple more questions before I get into move on to some college football talk. Um, Kevin asks, uh, when running backs stay in for pass protection, what is the optimal depth in the pocket? What should it be? Like if he gets too high in the pocket, does it make delayed pitches more dangerous? Well, first of all, you got to step up in the pocket as a running back and meet the blitzer. But you know, you want to meet him into the hole as much as possible, but it depends. You know, if, if you're in a position to where you are, uh, have an outlet route where you've got to check a guy, you come up and you got to release. So the answer is depends on whether it's a three, five, seven, nine step drop. Uh, obviously the goal is to either cut a guy, chip a guy or ride a guy wide. So where's the blitz coming from? If you got to crash in, and you got an issue, that's a different protection. It may not be the back. You may have to shift it. So in other words, you know, back needs to, depending on the call, may need to stay in for protection, but he may also have responsibility to chip out, okay, as an outlet guy. Can he do that? Does he have time to do that? Can he execute enough is an important thing. You want to be able to get a guy back where he can step up and force the guy wide, okay? If the blitz comes inside and you read blitz inside, then you've got to check that protection to where the guard will take care of it and you force the outside guy. Then the back's got to be able to adjust and get the outside guy. So that's how you hit. So the answer is the depth depends upon exactly what uh, blitz it is. Um, Burns asks question about the Eagles. Why does it seem that they only play well when their backs up or against the wall beat San Francisco with backups on the O-line and practice squad receivers. Impressive win. If you look at it for the most part, um, it, it, it's a, a lot of teams play better when their backs are against the wall. It's a desperation moment. I, I always say at times, Worry about the teams that are in desperation mode. That's why I said, look out for that Minnesota Texans game last week. That's desperation for both. I mean, Carolina's played pretty well. I don't. I don't think you're going to go in and beat Atlanta in a must-win game. I really don't. I think a lot of teams in that situation. I, I, I let me say this. I think the problem with Philadelphia, they're real. 
Their offensive line is atrocious. But understand something. When you have those adjustments in a particular position, like the offensive line, well, what do you do? Well, they're awful that week. You assume that they're going to be awful every week. Not so. You're going to make adjustments, not just on personnel, but protection adjustments, calls, things that you do that's going to alleviate some of the problems. It's getting the players you have better, right? Either get better players or get your players better. Well, you can't get better players right now. It's not the time of year to do that. So you get your players better. So understand that it's a combination of them getting a little better. They're in a desperation mold and they haven't quit. And then you've got a Niners team that's beaten up. So, I, you know, I didn't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I called it because I saw San Francisco go to New York two weeks in a row and beat two bad teams. And I thought they'd certainly come back home and beat a team that's in the same category, Not maybe not quite as bad as the Giants or Jets, but next level up from bad, comparatively speaking. You know, the, the Niners, I know what the Niners did, but did they – did they take it a little easier? Were they not as focused as they came home? There are a lot of things that go into that. So it's a great great observation, and I think there could be a few things with it. Uh, Kevin also asks, uh, if an offense is in max protection by NFL standards, how egregious is it for a wide receiver uh, to get behind the safeties for a 65-yard pass? Well, if you're in max protection – then the receivers have more time, should, in theory, have more time, and the quarterback has a better, more time. So you should be able to get deeper. Now, are you going to beat the safeties? Well, depends. Are the safeties playing on the hash and in too deep coverage? No, you should get deeper than the deepest, wider than the widest if you're the safety then. But if you're in some combination coverage and you're some man with a cheater, well, then, no, you might come up as a safety and have responsibility in an underneath route. So if it's man-to-man on the outside, well, if you have maximum protection, you should have maximum time to throw and maximum time to get depth in your route. So, no, that is one in which you should have chances to get deep. You remember, you know, you got pressure coming on you. You don't have as much time. The ball has to come out quick, right? That's why I laugh. People say, yeah, I, oh, it's fourth and 18. They threw it six yards. They threw it six yards because the pressure came in. They got no time for a route to get 18 yards. Their only chance is to get it out quick and hope that he can make somebody miss. <laughs> They're not designing a play to go six yards. They're trying to pick it up the best way they can. And what are you going to see in fourth and 18? Well, high pressure. Ball's got to come out quick and make a play. Uh, not to change the point of your point. So, yeah, if you got max protection and max time, if you do it correctly, you should have – ample opportunity to beat deep against certain coverages, uh, that is. Um, Quentin Williams, it's fortunate for him that he was cleared of both felony gun charges. If you were a GM, how worried would you be about a player packing heat in a travel pack? Look, it's dumb. You've It's education. It's understanding that there are certain things you can and can't do. You would have to have that conversation beforehand about what you can and can't do. If you, in this situation, I would want to learn more about what are the circumstances. Um, you can't have that. A, a lot of these guys hear, but don't listen. There are a lot of people we know in this world and our society, some people just are big on guns. They just love guns. 
and I look a lot of it from the South. They like guns, not me. I'm not a gun person, but a lot of people do. You can't have them and you certainly can't have them in New York. And there's some places where it's more frowned upon than others. You have to understand that it's an awareness issue. Got to do a better job of that. And so what I would do is handle it in, and make sure that this is not going to happen again. And this is why, and this is why you can't do it and why, you know, we live in a world, right? Where some people think, Oh, you're taking away my second amendment rights. I should have a gun. I should be able to do whatever. Look, there's certain things that are above us. You got to follow the rules. Here are the rules. Here are the laws. Here are the league rules. Here are the team rules. And here are the laws that as a citizen, you got to abide by. And you've got to make sure there's education. So my response would be, it's hard because I don't know how much this was emphasized to him and how much the fact that you're in New York, it's the maybe the worst place you could be carrying a gun. Um, I, I'm making sure that that the education part of it's taken care of, but it should have been done before. But it's the best I can do right now with, you know, not knowing as much about exactly what was told beforehand and not, I would not give up on the player. I would certainly um, make sure that it doesn't happen going forward. Um, Kevin also has about Matt Milano. I've seen a lot of good things. Is he a key player for the defense? Heck yeah, he is. He's one of their best players. He's been that for a while, by the way. He's a really instinctive player. I mean, he sets the edge well. I mean, he's got good pursuit speeds, good angles to the ball. Like him a lot. Uh, with the addition of Josh Norman to the secondary, do you see Leslie Frazier installing exotic blitzes, uh, knowing that he has back end? Well, you always have the blitzes in. But here's the thing about blitzes. It's not about doing them more. It's about when you do them and from what launch points. So everybody's got them in. But – you know, a blitz is not something that you just do willy-nilly. It has to be set up correctly. It has to happen at the right time, same launch points. It's kind of like the defensive version of when you run a certain play on offense. Well, there's sometimes it just makes sense. I mean, you're not going to run a a go route on the 10-yard line. I mean, you got to run a slant or a post. A go route's going to be really difficult. I mean, the go route has to come out immediately. You're better off running a you know, back shoulder fade. So same thing, exotic blitzes, when you do them, where you do them from really important. And, and also the launch points of where you show it pre-snap versus where it actually come from is also important. Uh, Leslie has got a lot of exotic blitzes in it. Um, when you bring good base pressure, you don't want to blitz. Here's the thing about blitzes. You don't want to blitz. Yeah, let me say that. You, ideally, in the perfect defense, you're getting good pressure with your three, four, and no more than five-man pressures, and you're maximizing coverage. You're getting home with pressure, and you're beating the protections, and you maximize guys in coverage. That's the perfect defense. When you bring some added pressure, it's because you need something else to happen to force it out quickly we got to break the rhythm, and we can't get enough pressure with our four or five we have early. But people, I got pressure early in the game. Yeah, 
you're on the field too much defensively, those same guys are not as fresh later. You got to bring some pressure. So you have to have exotic pressure looks and blitz looks and stunts and games that are going to create angles and create pressures. But you have to do it as a last resort, or you have to do it when you're not able to functionally do it with your base. So some good some good thoughts. Tampa Bay, Kevin asks, every week I watch the Bucks game analysts say the Bucks front seven is elite, possibly the best in the NFL. Wish that were the case, but from what I've seen, I doubt it's better than Pittsburgh, New England, San Francisco, uh, and Chicago, Indianapolis, New Orleans. Look, I um, they're playing very well, and I think they are grading out, I know this, for me, at a very high level. I think they're grading out even better than their individual parts might suggest, um, but I also think it has a lot to do with the offense and what they're able to do and control and manage things a little bit better. You know, but you got some pick six issues with with Brady, but for the most part, things are getting better on offense. Uh, I think the Bucks defense has played well. I think it's the strength of their team individually. Are they as good as most of the teams that you mentioned? No, I think you're right on there. Um, but talent and execution are two different things. Also, Richard asks, and I'm going to answer this now, Richard, because I know you're listening and watching. Um, Defensively, can you explain how they defend the air raid offense, particularly against Mike Leach? Uh, look, it's not that difficult. Um, it's you, You've got to get, I think, more, maximum guys in coverage plays on. You need to face the quarterback. You need to force, depending on the quarterback, in this case, uh, with Costello, force the ball out, out wide outside the numbers. So – Basically, don't allow the crossing routes by running slant routes like LSU did. Play, drop guys, rush three because the ball's coming out quick, and then converge and tackle on the ball. And then if you do that, you're going to get some tips. You're going to get some interceptions. you get get some errant throws. Arkansas did that with far less talent than, say, LSU, and they were able to effectively do it. It's Mike Leach's offense is not complex. Mike Leach, um, they think of as the mad scientist. What makes him mad is his uniqueness is that he's very, very um, – he, he, he knows his stuff, but he doesn't adjust very well. He does what he does, and that's it, and, and he doesn't modify it, and he beats you with simplicity. So if you can understand what he's doing, and it's not very difficult, and you can match up with it and you play it right um, – it's going to have some trouble and that's, but if you're not as prepared for it, uh, you got some difficulty. It's, it's in some ways a little bit like trying to play against the option football. So, um, it's not that difficult to do. Why don't more people do it? It's, you know, preparation, understanding why didn't LSU do it? Um, that's falls on coaching. I, I don't, I hate to, criticize another coach, but it's the reality of it. Uh, what was your assessment of Dan Reeves as a coach? Dan was outstanding. Did a great job in Denver. Thought he had some really good teams. Gets criticized because he couldn't win the big one. Um, goes to Atlanta, goes to the Super Bowl. You you go and be a part of two teams that are really good and go to the Super Bowl. Then you go to the Giants and do a good job. Guy's a good football coach. He was very, very good. What was my scouting evaluation, Richard asked, of Todd Heap out of Arizona State? Todd was a very athletic tight end, had good size, really good hands, could catch the ball out of frame, um, 
was fairly effective as a detached Y, but was more effective as an inline guy that can get deep and beat linebackers. Jesse Armstead out of Miami. Boy, Jesse could really run. Jesse had great range. He had almost safety size, and he was part of that group that, uh, that well, fit into the mantra that Jimmy Johnson brought there that to have those linebackers that look like safeties and, you know, defensive ends that look like linebackers that could really run. Uh, Jesse was just outstanding, had a really high grade on him. Hines Ward out of Georgia. Hines was, you know, a guy that uh, obviously played a lot of quarterback coming up and had really good instincts, really good toughness, really athletic in terms of body flexibility, body control, had good quickness, uh, good lateral agility, not great speed, but really good big-time leader. John Randall out of um, <clears throat> Texas A&M, um, Kingsville, Texas A&I is what the school was called back then. I remembered working him out. He didn't shut up the entire workout. Typical, typical, right? No shock there. John was a explosive three technique that was a late bloomer. Really good athlete that they did a good job getting him on the field because he was very much a late bloomer and didn't really know how to prepare and work in the weight room and do things. She was not somebody that was very highly recruited, but ended up with a good college career once things kind of settled in for him. Really, really good looking uh, player. Um, some other things before I get into the week college football. Um, we talked a little bit about to follow up with Richard's, on, uh, Richard's uh, thoughts and comments, questions on Mike Leach. You got the full Mike Leach experience, Leach experience in two weeks. You're going to see Mike get the best of somebody on a given time or two in a year, but you're going to see him get out coached a lot. And you saw him out coached Bo Pelini in week one at LSU, far more talent than Arkansas, and then come back week two and get out coached by Barry Odom, the defense coordinator at Arkansas. Now, again, I mentioned this also on the film room show last night that Barry Odom was the defensive coordinator at Missouri before he was the head coach. You just under Gary Pinkle. And when he was in the big 12, he went up against Mike Leach's offense and he was three and and did a really good job. Again, not brain surgery. It's, it's nothing elaborate. Um, did a really good job there. So, um, we saw that Big 12's a mess. I do think Oklahoma State's pretty good. I do think TCU's pretty good. I think both can be pretty effective on defense. I don't think they're national playoff good, but they may be best in the Big 12 good. We'll see. I still think it's a Big 12 race of decent teams, but nobody that's on the national radar. Oklahoma's lost two games in the conference. They'll probably beat Texas this week. We'll see. But the Big 12 is an absolute mess. Georgia is still the team to beat in the East is what I would say. Um, I think Florida is capable of doing it. But Florida, again, not projecting it yet, and I want to see how these teams progress going into that game. But Georgia is so much better at the line of scrimmage. Uh, Florida has more explosiveness. Um, so there's – there's a difference in, in different styles. 
we'll see. We're going to see when they play. Uh, Florida's got to come. It's a different year. So this maybe Florida can get it done, but we'll get into more detail what they're going to need to do against Georgia to get it done and whether they can do it. This Georgia team is really good. They can shorten the game, play great defense. They can run the football and and get surge on the offensive line. Right now, Georgia would beat Florida. They don't play right now. And why would they beat them? Because Georgia would control the football on the defensive front of, of Florida. You know, they could run the football. South Carolina had some success running it early, and that's because Florida couldn't get off blocks. Georgia could do it much better. Now, there's time and growth that Florida can have that might make their defense a little bit better. Now, I will say this. Florida gets an early lead on Georgia. Georgia is going to have a tough time being able to come back with the passing game, getting enough explosive plays. So I, I think those things need to be kept in mind there, that there's a contrast in styles. But I do think this Florida team, and what they do is really good. And national playoff caliber, fringe good. But so is Georgia really good at what they do. It's a little bit different. Um, Spartan Martin says, does Florida even have a chance against that defense? I'm assuming he's talking about Georgia. Yeah, got a chance. They've got a chance. Um, but it's going to be a challenge. And so how do you do it? Well, you've got to get to an early lead. And, again, we'll get into this that week of it because the, the scope of the teams could change, not just health-wise, but just as the, the progression takes place and development of both teams. Again, you never stay the same. You either get better or you get worse. Well, I think they can certainly create some matchups where they can get some explosive plays and they get a lead early then I think they'll force George out of their comfort zone. But, you know, look, it's it's easy to sit there and say, man, Kyle Pitts is unstoppable. Well, Georgia's got guys that can cover, and then guys that can get good base rush, then guys that can uh, really set the edge in the run game and can penetrate and push the pocket. So, you know, you won't have as much time. I I can tell you what I would do against Pitts, but – on the other side, Dan does a phenomenal job of making sure that by alignment, you you can't you can't just don't want to line up a guy like Pitts just at tight end. Move up with him at H in the slot, at the wing back. Oh, detach wide, out wide. I mean, that's what they're going to do. So hey, go ahead, corner, go out and cover him. Then you got a mismatch. I think Georgia's going to be a little prepared for that. And we'll see how well they do. And it's it's about pressure and coverage behind it in combination. And I, I think that that is an interesting matchup I'm looking to see. Who would I favor? Again, I've already said it. I think it's Georgia. I think Florida can win, but Florida will have to do it to prove it to me because Georgia has more overall talent. Florida has more explosive talent and definitely has the quarterback edge. So, look, I mean – Look, Georgia had a lot more talent, and Florida, for example, is more talented than Auburn, okay? But if I was to tell you who was the better quarterback talent going into Georgia-Auburn, you say, it's clear, Bo Nix is better. Didn't look better. You know why? The play around them didn't allow that. 
And I'm not saying that Bo played well and the players around him played poorly. No, Bo played poorly and Bo played poorly because of a number of things. I went into details on LandryFootball.com that he couldn't do. And some of that were byproducts of the play around him. Couldn't do the offensive lines are not very good. Running games are not consistent enough. There's some issues. So keep that in mind as we go forward. Um, how do you see Miami Clemson? Is Miami for real? Uh, I see Clemson winning, and I see them winning big. I think Miami's for real. I think they're improved. I think Derek King's an outstanding quarterback. I think that Rhett Lashley's done a good job. I think they'll cause some issues with tempo and gets Clemson, but not enough. I think Miami's got some athletes on defense. I think the race is who can be the second best in the ACC. And if the conversation is that, if the question is that, I put Miami, I nominate Miami as a candidate there. Yeah, they could they could be that. They could do that. I think they're going to get a focused Clemson team and a focused Clemson team in Death Valley equals a decisive win in my mind. That's the way I see it. So color me surprised if, you know, I know people well, and we've seen Syracuse and NC State, and we've seen North Carolina almost beat Clemson. Clemson tends to struggle when they fall asleep a little bit. I don't think they're sleeping. I think they're trying to make a statement. I don't need to make a statement because if they win out, they're going to the playoffs. But I think they're looking to make an internal statement that they've got an edge. I think internally they want to play kind of to a standard and and kind of assert themselves. So I think. Um, those are the things that uh, that I look for in this week's game. Um, Clemson and Alabama are really good. Not flawless, but they're really good. We haven't seen Ohio State play. I know what their talent level is. I know what my expectations are, but I can't tell you that. I know they're going to be good. I can't tell you, boy, they've looked good. They haven't done anything. I do think that Georgia and Florida would be the most likely candidates right now as the fourth. and. We'll see how that plays out. I do think it's very likely that we'll have three that are playoff caliber and then maybe two, three, four for that fourth spot. We shall see. We're going to learn a lot, and a lot of it's through the SEC. How does Georgia look against Alabama? How does Georgia and Florida come out? Florida doesn't play Alabama unless Florida wins the East and they play Alabama in the conference championship game. If that's how it plays out, then then we could know there. But, you know, Florida's got to handle Georgia. Georgia's got to handle Alabama, then Florida. So, look, we shall see. It's going to come down to Georgia-Florida. That's the most important game of the week. Um, even though it was the second week of the SEC, what have you seen out of Felipe Frank so far? And am I getting out to think Felipe Frank is a draftable next year? Uh, yeah, I think you're ahead of yourself. I don't trust Felipe. Here's what I'm seeing. I think Kendall Browse has done a good job with them, settling him down, protecting the ball. So what he's added is some stability. I think Felipe's better throwing outside the pocket but I think his accuracy is too inconsistent. I don't have that high of a grade on him, and I wouldn't draft him. Somebody might like. Um, but I think he's done a good job, and I think Kendall's done a good job with him. 
I think they'll need better going forward. And I think just the look, I think Felipe's just grown and matured and seeing the game a little bit better. And I think they're doing a good job with them. And they're hanging in with their defense. This is what I think people I, I try to point out. If you can play good defense, if you're in the game, then your whole playbook is open to you, and you can be more patient. You don't force the ball. If you get down in the game and your defense is giving up points, what are you going to do? You're going to try to force it. You're going to try to make something happen. That leads to more mistakes. Well, it's not bad decisions then as much as we're going to take chances. Taking chances, going out of your comfort zone is a problem. So, um, we got North Miracle 40 Pie. Hello, how are you doing? I have seen your Chris Landry football Twitch channel. Hey, appreciate you joining us and uh, taking part of it. I hope you're there. Um, Tennessee looks better. Jig's dad's attention looks better. You're happy with the direction Jeremy's bringing them. Will they be able to compete with the top of the league soon? Jeremy has done a good job. What they've done is they've built the offensive line very well so they can and should be able to run the football. They need more consistent play out of the quarterback position. Um, JG has been too inconsistent throwing the football, too accurate, too inaccurate at times. So that limits their ability to make a lot of explosive plays. What I see is a defensive front that's getting better, and the secondary is playing pretty good. And so, yeah, I think that Jeremy's done a good job. Can they compete for the top soon? No. I think they'll get beaten and probably beaten handily by Georgia. I don't think they're good enough to beat Florida. But I do think that, you know, the Auburns and the A&Ms of the world are, you know, Potential. They'll get hammered by Alabama, but I think they'll compete better. And I think that to me, that's what the expectation level should be. Everyone talks about the recruiting is great. Let's see if they finish the recruiting class off. And if they finish this recruiting class off as good as it has been, then we're talking about a year or two, then maybe taking a step up. But look, it's just not going to be easy because. You're looking up at Georgia and Florida, and both of them recruit as good or better, and they're better programs right now. So they have to come back to the pack for, or Tennessee needs to catch them right. But Tennessee could maybe get close to joining them, but probably still behind them. And then for Tennessee, their crossover game every year is Alabama. That doesn't fare well. They not only lose that, but it usually affects them after that game. So some interesting things. Um some this week's key matchups um, kind of combined twos. We're running short of time. Uh, A&M, what type of effort will they give Florida? Um, I think they'll give good effort. Uh, I don't know that they'll be able to hang with them. We shall see. Oklahoma, Texas. Uh, boy, is that game kind of fallen. North Carolina, Virginia Tech's really intriguing to me. I just mentioned Tennessee, Georgia. Very interesting. Arkansas going to Auburn, don't like the chances there, but like the way they're playing. Kansas State, TCU, really interesting game. 
Pitt BC is another interesting game that I'm intrigued with. Curious to see what Ole Miss can bring offensively to uh, Alabama. Miami Clemson, we talked about. Mississippi State, Kentucky is the most intriguing SEC game of the week to me. You got a Kentucky team that could be unbeaten. They're not. We've gone into details about why Kentucky is not. We're running short of time. So I'll leave it at that. That look, um, they've got to play a clean game. Mississippi State now could be on the verge of losing two in a row, or do they amend their tough loss to Arkansas? That is, again, watch defensively what Kentucky does, how they play it. That's going to take you to what you need to know and how it's done. Uh, let me finish up here <clears throat> with a couple of comments, but to also answer this final question from Burns, 4597. Thoughts on BYU have looked great against non-Power 5 opponents. Yes, they're a physical football team. They're not the BYU of old, the BYU of old that could throw it across the, the lot. They are a really physical run-blocking team, and they are very good, and they could run the table. They really could. Um, no, they're not a contender or a factor with their record for the playoffs. So we'll see uh, New Year's Six um, capabilities. Hey, a couple of things before we head on out here. Detailed film room breakdowns of all these games, detailed at LandryFootball.com. We've got that covered for you. All the NFL games, same thing. Uh, we'll give you kind of the keys, the games within the game. We'll give you some grades on players. Uh, we'll review the games after they're done. That's a Monday and Tuesday thing at LandryFootball.com where you can see how players graded in the games. Um, and we'll, we'll give you a lot of that information that's unique to us that um, from the viewpoint, the coaching and scouting viewpoint. So check it out. Take advantage of it. If you're not yet a member, try it out for a month. Uh, take advantage of the 12-month discount. That's the best offer that we got. That's less than $5 a month if you take advantage of that. Um, that's the best deal. You can try it out for six months. So uh, whatever, it's less than a magazine subscription. It's $9.99 a month. It's $39.99 for six months, and it's $69.99 for a year. may seem like a lot. You start breaking it down per day, which you get each and every day. Uh, very, very cheap. It's like having your own scouting department, your own coaching department at your disposal for less than a magazine description or as um, – as uh, who was it that said uh, Spartan Barton said less than a your cable subscription per month? Um, uh, you know it's it's a really good deal. So you know, absolutely love it. Uh, it's for a year subscription less than your cable bill per month. So it's a great opportunity to get to, to get a good feel for. It. Check out all our podcasts. You can get that LandryFootball.com. Get connected to our Twitch channel through LandryFootball.com as well. And we, I can't thank enough for the people that have contributed, um, uh, you know, uh, that have followed us. Um, and you know, when it just, um, participated with questions and thoughts, we really appreciate that. If you are not watching us live and you get a chance to do so, we encourage you to do so. Uh, if you, or listening to this on podcast and that's the best way and your only way to consume it. And you want to ask a question, go to LandryFootball.com, hit contact Chris, and we will absolutely do that. Or send me a, a question over on Twitter at Landry football. Hey, let's get on out of here. I've taken too much time. Good thing. We don't have a show right after this. I've overgone, but when it's your network, I guess you can do that. So but, uh, be sure to check in uh, with Chuck Oliver uh, at 11 
a.m. Central Time, noon Eastern Time for two hours of college football talk here on the Landry Football Twitch channel. And uh, check out all the programming each and every day. We've got all the conferences covered. A great new ACC show that's a much improvement. We've got uh, a better SEC show than we did when we started out. We've got a good Big Ten, Big 12 show. Um, Coach Graff is handling our Pac-12 show that they're starting up. We've got a Group of Five show that's not being done live on the Twitch channel, but you can check it out uh, at LandryFootball.com. Group of Five, Chris Mikoski does a great job. So we got it all covered for you uh, over at LandryFootball.com. So appreciate you joining us. Join us again next time and check us over out at LandryFootball.com. So long, everybody. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.